Ladies and gentlemen, now hosting the Rizzo cast, put your hands together for Steven Risotto. What's going on, everybody, and welcome. This is episode number 91 of Rizzo cast and a great big happy new year to everybody out here. Uh, this is the first episode of the year, and uh, I'm pleased to be joined today by a very special guest. It is Dr. Jim Afromo, a sports psychology consultant and author of The Leader's Mind, The Champion's Mind, The Champion's Comeback, and The Young Champion's Mind. And uh, Dr. Jim Afromo joins us here, and you guys could follow him on Twitter, of course. His at is at gold metal mind so go ahead check that out at gold metal mind how you doing dr jim uh welcome to the show and uh, happy new year thanks so much Stephen, for having me on uh happy new year as well and uh to all your listeners absolutely how, how was your holiday season did everything go smoothly yeah it was a lot of fun it was nice to take a little bit of uh you know rest and recovery um you know i like to tell athletes that uh you have to uh relax it after you max it. <laughs> so, uh, you know, you got to work hard, but then you also have to rest well. So uh, we were able to spend some quality family time over the holidays, which was really nice. Yeah. And this was the time for athletes to, to rest for sure. Of course, of course, during break, there's a lot of time mm -hmm. off. Um, so I first want to touch on your book, your most recent book, The Leader's Mind, which is currently uh, in stores and on Amazon. You could get the audio book. I know that's popular as well. So tell me a little bit about it and, and what readers should expect while, uh, while digging into the leader's mind. Absolutely. Uh, so what I, uh, my passion uh, has been uh, sports psychology for quite some time. And uh, I love writing books about the mental game. And, you know, I, of course I touch on leadership and teamwork, but um, I've really noticed more and more that the teams that really win and, and sustain excellence, uh, and it, you know, it's obvious, but uh, they just have a lot of great leaders on the team. Uh, when the Giants were winning the World Series, there was just, you know, the, the team was filled with really good leadership and, you know, from top to bottom. And so I wanted to do sort of that deep dive into leadership and uh, teamed up with uh, collaborator, Phil White. Uh, we work on several projects together. And, uh, for the book, we interviewed different folks from uh, different achievement domains. So we have a pilot, we have a firefighter, we have a college coach from Stanford. We have, you know, we we uh, uh, we have Steve Kerr highlighted one of the chapters, and then uh, we even look at uh, Marcus Aurelius, the famous Roman emperor. And so each chapter is sort of like a case study on leadership. And what really pops out is just, you know, that good leadership is something that we all can do in our own lives and in all areas of our work. And so um, it's a lot of fun. We're already getting a lot of great feedback about the book. Absolutely. That's great to hear. And what are some of the misinterpretations of sports, sports psychology or, or someone in your position? Because I know oftentimes they're looked at as, you know, something athletes go to as a last resort, or if athletes are soft, they have to see a sports psychologist. And that's kind of been, uh, at least from what I've heard, the norm when it comes to sports psychology. And you and I know, both know that that's not the case. So what are some of the misinterpretations that you've heard about the industry and the profession? 
Yeah, I think you, you hit the nail on the head there, Stephen, with, uh, you know, that sports psychology is for, on, you know, only for someone that's dealing with a slump or, or an injury or something isn't really going well. Um, and imagine if we looked at uh, strength and conditioning that way, that uh, strength and conditioning, you know, is only for someone that, uh, you know, isn't strong or, you know, uh, uh, is not playing well. Um, so I look at sports psychology as uh, the science of success, really, which is how to think, feel, and act like a champion in everything that we do. And so the good news is that more and more athletes and teams and even, you know, corporate athletes, so to speak, uh, others, you know, in, you know, music, performing arts, the business world are looking at sports psychology the right way now in terms of, hey, I want every edge I can get. And I know that the mental game is an important way to, you know, improve my game and, and be more consistent with my performance. So that's really exciting for me is that athletes are now calling me and saying, hey, things are going pretty well. I just want to see how good I can get in my sport. And it is confidence because I know you work, uh, a lot of your work has to do with defining a champion and giving tips on what it takes to have that champion's mindset. And obviously, I think confidence plays a, a really big part in that. Is that the most important thing when it comes to building that champion mind? And I know this is in a lot of your books, so you could kind of paraphrase here, but is confidence, what, I guess the, the right question should be, what role does confidence play in everything and in building a mindset that works? Yeah, confidence to me is, you know, I would say that the, the, the four big C words that I use a lot in my work are confidence, concentration, composure, and commitment. And I, you know, Jack Nicholas, the famous golfer said that uh, confidence is the single most important factor in golf. That's the way he looked at it. And he said, probably in life as well. And, you know, who am I to argue with Jack Nicholas? So um, I'm big on confidence. I think confidence is king. Um, if you don't believe in yourself and you don't trust your talent and your training, then it doesn't matter how good you are physically. Um, and so to me, it all starts with from within, which is, you know, having big dreams, big goals, uh, important values, and then believing that you're going to find a way to accomplish what you want. Uh, and that's so important because, you know, as you move up the ranks in your sport, uh, it just gets harder and harder on the physical side. And so the margin for error gets so tiny that uh, you have to really believe in yourself. Uh, otherwise, you're going to psych yourself out and get in your own way. A hundred percent. And and you've worked with, with athletes and, and personnel at the college and high school levels in, in your career. Those are two levels that are, are vastly different. Um, in my mind, there's a lot of filtering out that goes on, I think, during the transition. Uh, obviously, there, there's the talent, uh, good players and, and mentally stronger players move on, whereas maybe, you know, bad players, less skilled players and maybe not so developed in the mind don't move on. Is that kind of the reasoning there? Is that kind of your philosophy on it as well? Absolutely, yeah. I, I, you know, uh, a lot of the top high school athletes, you know, they don't always necessarily have to have a great mental game because physically they're so much, you know, more superior than their counterparts. But, you know, at the college level, a lot of athletes that I've worked with, man, they really hit a wall right off the bat because it's like, I was the big fish, you know, in the little pond in high school. Now everyone's a big fish. <laughs> and so... Uh, 
Uh, so it's, they start questioning themselves. Like, am I as good as I thought I was? Can I really do this? You know, do I have what it takes? Uh, you know, imagine being a wrestler, for example, and then going to Iowa or Oklahoma State or, you know, one of these top programs, uh, you know, and you could use that example across any sport, but, you know, you're, you're not the one that really stands out maybe right now. And so you might have to, you know, take your turn uh, and that could be for several years until you become, you know, you reach the top. You know, I remember one Iowa wrestler told me, you know, I, I would get my, uh, I would get throttled basically uh, every day at practice. And then eventually, you know, he became the guy that could do a little bit of the throttling, but uh, same in baseball. I, I worked at Arizona state university for about a decade. And uh, a lot of the baseball guys that would, you know, start with the program, uh, they weren't used to adversity, but then all of a sudden, you know, when you're facing, you know, UCLA and Oregon State and all these great pro programs, uh, you know, you better start having the mental game uh, buttoned up. Yeah, absolutely. And I can't tell you, Dr. Aframo, how many, how many players I've seen quit sports because of tough coaches and, you know, coaches that they deem maybe overly strict and unfair and bias and more and more coaches are being hired now in sports because of their leadership and their communication skills. You know, there might be some more qualified, you know, say if you're hiring a basketball coach, there might be more qualified basketball minds, but you know, the guy that is able to communicate with his players is probably going to get the job more. So, so how, how much of a positive trend and a game changer is that development to kind of bring in more communicators into the industry of, uh, of coaching? Yeah, relationship building is key, and that's what we talk about in the in the Leader's Mind book. Um, you know, especially nowadays, I think you know, 20, 30, 40 years ago, you could be that kind of you know the the leader that pounds the desk and demands a lot from everyone, and they just kind of get in line. But now people want to know, uh, you know, athletes and others want to know: does does coach care about me? Can I trust coach? Uh, does coach, you know, can coach help me? Um, and they want a relationship with their coaches and their teammates. Um, and, and I think that's a good thing. Uh, I think it's also important for athletes to be able to be their own best coach because, you know, coaching isn't a game of perfect either, just like sports isn't a game of perfect. And so, uh, you know, there's no such thing as a perfect coach, uh, no such thing as a perfect athlete. And so, you know, we got to get mentally tough in terms of being able to handle anything that comes our way. But I agree with you, the best teams that I've been around uh, are usually the closest teams. And that starts from, you know, the leader really sets the tone for that, the coach. Yeah, and, and on the other side of it, I'm sure you've dealt with your fair share of parents over the years. And this is a, a hotly contested, uh, you know, discussion. And, you know, they tend to be intense sometimes, or they tend to be intense sometimes. And mm -hmm. we've seen multiple stories of parents you know, wanting to live out their dreams through their, their, their children or their child. So what are kind of some of your experiences coaching, coaching them alongside their, their children as well? Cause I'm sure it's not all that easy. Yeah. Par parents, you know, I mean, again, when you think about it, you know, the, the, their, their children are the most important thing in the world to them. So, uh, you know, they're going to be really emotionally involved and that could cut both ways. And so, I love working with parents when I work with younger athletes uh, because, uh, to, you know, try to help everyone be on the same page. And so when I talk with parents, we talk about, you know, I love the, the analogy of a rowboat, you know, that, 
you want everyone, you know, the family in the rowboat together rowing at the same speed. <laughs> and so, you know, because if, if the kid's rowing too fast, you know, the parent sometimes needs to catch up and, you know, and then vice versa. Uh, I do think that, uh, you know, I, I do like the saying uh, that, you know, it's okay to push your kids, just don't shove them. Uh, you know, if, if we didn't, if we didn't push our kids a little bit, then, uh, you know, and, and it's positive pushing, it's not negative pushing, but uh, so parents, you know, they have to find that balance between pushing, uh, but not shoving and, uh, and realizing that, uh, you know, that coaches and, and, and others, you know, need to be the ones that really are the ones teaching the, the, the physical skills. Uh, and parents can provide a lot of support and understanding, you know, around the ups and downs of their kids' participation in the sport. And I, I want to get into some preparation next, because I know preparation is uh, a key building block there in, in order to have a strong mental mindset while, while, while doing anything, to be honest, but mm -hmm. uh, playing sports. So how important is preparation when it comes to success? Is being ready a skill that takes a long time to develop? Well, I think that, you know, whatever we practice uh, tends to grow. So if we could practice mental skills and strategies, you know, and, and having a good attitude and outlook um, each day, that's going to really pay off on game day. And so uh, the neat thing about uh, sports psychology is a lot of the mental skills and strategies that I teach and others teach in the field uh, really don't need to take up too much time. And a lot of times we could do them in parallel with what we're doing, you know. So for example, at practice, you know, you could work on body language, you could work on positive self-talk, you could work on, you know, um, uh, you know, visualizing your success while you're waiting in line to perform a drill. Uh, so there are plenty of opportunities, you know, even breathing techniques, there, there are plenty of opportunities to practice these mental skills and strategies to make them more automatic when it's time to really compete, you know, and, and when it counts the most. So we're right now, we're dealing with so much struggle right now mm -hmm. in the world, especially um, athletes and the young athlete. I mean, there's positive COVID tests right now mm -hmm. messing with maybe consistent playing time at the college and high school level. Um even in the NBA, I mean, players are going on health and protocol. I know it's starting to, to decline a little bit, those numbers, but it's definitely alarming and it could screw up some consistency, I'm sure. So what are some of your keys when it comes to dealing with adversity and, and bouncing back from maybe some of the low points? Yeah, well, one is, uh, you know, kind of expect the best, but be prepared for everything. And when, when, when adversity does strike, uh, we always have a choice. And uh, and you could choose to, uh, you know, kind of let it beat you down and give up, or you could choose to uh, kind of, you know, spark some uh, competitive fire. And uh, so, uh, you know, right off the bat, I like the idea of that when adversity strikes, look at it as a, a challenge to meet rather than a threat to avoid. Uh, and, and, and think about how you're going to grow through this time, not just get through this time. Uh, the other thing too is is to really have uh, some good resources around you, you know, books and and also people. Uh, and you know, when when I was in the baseball world, uh, there was a saying, you know, at the major league level, uh, never suffer alone. Always have a go-to person. And uh, and sometimes when we're just stuck in our own head, you know, that's tough for athletes because athletes want to feel self, you know, uh, you know, kind of self-made. Uh, but having a go-to person where you could talk about, man, I'm having a hard day, or I'm going through a rough patch, or, you know, I have a lot on my mind, uh, can make a massive difference. 
And I do also want to ask about philosophy or on, on manifesting or visualization, because this is something that, you know, in high school, when I was playing high school baseball here in the Bay Area, um, before each game, we would go out down the left field line and we would swing our bat with our eyes closed and visualize ourselves hitting like a walk-off home run or something absurd like that, or at least absurd for me. No, that's why I'm here now and not playing college baseball. But and many athletes envision themselves um, as the league MVPs or, you know, like I just mentioned, hitting a home run uh, in a big spot. Is that effective thinking to, to utilize visualization and, and manifestation? Absolutely. I've been fortunate enough to work with, uh, you know, all pros and football and, and, you know, world series champions and baseball and, you know, Olympic gold medalists and, and the best of the best love visualization. Uh, not only do they visualize their success, but they visualize this, you know, the, the steps to achieve their success. Um, and so I think filling your head with positive pictures and, and getting that good feeling inside your body is really important. Um, and, uh, you know, use your imagination to your advantage. Most of us picture bad things happening, <laughs> but with visualization, you could imagine number one, overcoming those bad things if they do happen, but then also visualize yourself the way you want to play and being the player that you want to be. Um, and that's just one tool that I don't think that most of us use as much as we can. I know, you know, it's kind of a silly example, but when I was working on my first book, The Champion's Mind, I'm not naturally a, you know, a, a writer. So writing's hard for me. So what helped me when my motivation would take a hit uh, was to visualize myself holding the final product. And you know, that kind of gave me that little extra motivation to, okay, sit down and write for a couple hours um, and you know, stick with it. And then one day I actually held the final product in my hands and it was just such an amazing feeling. Um, I love the story of Andre Agassi, the famous tennis player. Uh, he said the first time he won Wimbledon, uh, he said he didn't know, you know, and for a few moments, he didn't know if it was a dream or not because he had visualized himself winning it so many times. That's awesome. And I would definitely advise for all athletes to do that as well. I think it's visualization and even anybody like you just mentioned how, you know, writing your book and having the finished project and visualizing that. I think it's a it's a really, really important key and it, it is effective. Um how, how do you view team sports uh, compared to maybe individual sports? Cause you know, I know for team sports, I feel at least that some players feel like they could, you know, maybe hide a little bit and, and not put all, maybe not put the full effort in and feel like they could hide because there's other players on the team that are also carrying a part of the, the, the load. Um, meanwhile, individual sports, if you know, you're in the Olympics for, you know, wrestling, it's just you so mm -hmm. that you don't really have anybody else that you could rely on. So, um, where, where do you see, you know, I, I don't want to keep saying, what's your philosophy on this? What's your philosophy on that? Uh, but what, what is kind of the difference between, between those two in terms of, you know, having a champion's mindset with maybe not putting in full effort, but also not hiding to any challenges. Yeah, well, you bring up, um, you know, a good point that when we're in groups, sometimes our effort level goes down because, you know, we could hide in the trees, <laughs> like you're saying. Uh, uh, and, you know, like think about in school, like when you have a group project, sometimes we, we you know, everyone wants to kind of, you know, put off the responsibility onto someone else to, to, oh, yeah. to do most of the work. But 
whereas if you know it's it's a it's your own project at school, then you know you get all the credit or all the blame, so to speak. But uh, yeah, uh, uh, be, being a great teammate and a leader is key when you're part of a you know obviously part of a group or or play a, a team sport because there's going to be times where you're not playing well, but the team is playing well. Uh, and then there's going to be times where you're playing well, but the team's not playing well or, you know, getting good results. And so uh, the one thing that I picked up, uh, you know, one of the things that I picked up that is really important is being a reliable guy or gal in a team sport. And coaches and teammates love to know what to expect from you each and every day. And so, uh, you know, you're, you, you don't have to be one sort of personality. You just need to be your personality, but be consistent with that personality. And I love what Tom Brady recently said. He said, my favorite teammates are the ones I have to think about the least because I know they're doing their job. You know, I know they're taking care of business. I know that they're, you know, acting in a way that's, that's positive. Um, and, uh, you know, when it's time to practice or play, they're there for us. And so, uh, that is so important. The individual sport can be a little bit lonely at times because there's no one really to lean on or, you know, not a lot of times to pick you up. And so that's where, again, you have to be your own best teammate when you play an individual sport. And that leads me into my next, uh, my next point here is, um, this summer we saw the best Olympic gymnast of all time, or at least in the States, Simone Biles with withdraw from, uh, during the midst of the, uh, the summer Olympics, uh, citing mental health issues. And this was, there's so much chatter about this uh, and about whether she's a quitter or whether this is a symbolic and powerful move that, you know, needs to be applauded. Um, I want to trend lightly with this one in this specific case, mm -hmm. because I don't want to put you on the spot here or put myself on the spot because we don't know her personally. Mm -hmm. um, and we don't know about her mental state at all, but let's talk hypothetically here. And if someone is in this situation, would that be considered a lack of preparation or is it something that you can't necessarily prepare for in that specific situation? Not necessarily Simone Biles, but in that specific situation. Well, what's really interesting is, you know, we talked about confidence earlier. Sometimes confidence can take a hit at different times. So for example, in high school, you might be the most confident player, but then when you move to college, you know, you, you might think, well, man, uh, how, you know, can I really believe in myself and my game? And then you might get going again, but then now you're pro or now you're an Olympic athlete. And then your confidence might take another hit because again, it's, it's the, uh, you know, the competition has just gotten just crazy good. Um, so with her, you know, it's hard to tell in terms of, you know, at the end of her career also, you know, mental health issues. I, I like to say that, uh, you know, that there's no health without mental health. And so sometimes we confuse sports psychology, like confidence, concentration, composure, and commitment, um, and competitiveness, you know, if you wanted to add another C word with mental health issues. And if you're dealing with uh, really serious mental health issues, it's hard to function at that level. Uh, and then, you know, with gymnastics, especially, you know, you could really injure yourself um, and, and really hurt yourself badly. You know, it's not like not to, to, to put down any other sport, but, uh, you know, you're probably not at risk of, of losing your life if you're, uh, or damn, you know, or paralyzing yourself, um, if you're playing, uh, you know, squash or something, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, even though those are killer athletes too, it's just, you know, you're, you're not going to fall off a, a beam. That's only a few inches wide onto your head. Uh, so with her, um, you know, very few people can identify what being in that, pr uh, that pressure that, you know, being in that cauldron that she was in 
Um, I, I do think it took a lot of courage to say, look, I, I, you know, I, I can't do this. Um, uh, you know, whether it was, you know, we, we don't know exactly what was going on or, or you know, how, what was going on with their teammates. But, you know, uh, I, I do like how they all came together. I also know that, you know, in terms of context, what was tricky with that situation is um, the whole issue with the uh, with the child abuse. Um, um, and and I don't know how involved she was with that, but that's something that's affected everyone in, in gymnastics. And and um, and so there was just so much going on. Um, you know, I, I had a lot of uh, compassion and empathy for her, but also the whole gymnastics team. Oh, absolutely. And, and that was something that escaped my mind when I, when I, uh, when I first saw it as well. Uh, so let's get into your career a little bit uh, for a second. Why sports psychology? Why was that a path that you wanted to pursue? What was so intriguing about it? Well, what's interesting is, so uh, I grew up playing a variety of different sports and, you know, a pretty, pretty active family in terms of, you know, we go hiking or camping and, you know, even mountain climbing, non-technical kind of stuff. But, uh, but so I was always really active and, uh, you know, just like any other athlete, I would, you know, either get a slump or hit a performance wall or, you know, get nervous before the big game, so to speak, or, uh, you know, just have these kind of mental game challenges. And back when I was playing, uh, you know, it was, it was a while ago, it wasn't that long ago, but I would ask questions to coaches or my dad or teammates and, you know, Hey, what do you do when you're nervous? Or what do you do when, uh, you know, you feel like you're not making any progress in your sport, you know, you've kind of hit a plateau and, you know, there was never any good answers. It was always like, Oh, just take a deep breath or don't worry about it. Or, you know, like, and there was still a little bit of that. You're either born with some of this stuff or you're not. And uh, I was always interested in psychology as well, you know, just kind of what makes people tick. And so uh, I started actually uh, studied uh, psychology at University of Oregon. Then I went on and studied experimental psychology for a little bit. And that's when I first started learning about sports psychology, you know, and I didn't even know it was a field. And so, wow, visualization, positive self-talk, goal setting, all these things. Why didn't I learn about this stuff earlier or in school? These are life skills. And so anyway, I ended up switching schools. I went to Michigan State and I studied sports psychology. They're a great program, uh, very fortunate to go there. And then I started realizing too that, you know, like we were talking about mental health issues, I started realizing, look, I want to work with the whole athlete. And so I also got a master's in counseling. But I, I love it because I use all the skills and strategies for my own in my own life. Uh, but I love the idea of being able to help others. And I love that, you know, again, that sports psychology is really expanding to more performance psychology, which is, you know, we're all performers at some level. So all of us could benefit from working uh, or learning more about sports psychology. A hundred percent. And and I'm glad you didn't date yourself there at the beginning of that. Uh, wasn't that long ago, you know? Yeah, I almost uh, did. <laughs> Uh, and you mentioned earlier that you worked at ASU for, for nearly a decade. Is, is there more reward when working with younger people because maybe they haven't reached their peak of their abilities yet compared to maybe older people who have already made the mistakes while younger people, maybe it, it's preventable? Yeah. I, uh, so working at ASU, that's a great question because a lot of the student athletes that I'd work with, and I love working across all the different sports, um, would say, man, I wish I had learned this when I was in high school, because <laughs> then it, you know, it'd be more automatic by now, or, you know, I wouldn't have struggled so much my first year in college, but uh, it's really rewarding. Uh, we used to, I used to tell the athletes, look, the, the four or five years you're here, 
uh, at ASU uh, are really going to de determine the next 40, 50 years of your life. So uh, let's really get your mental game buttoned up, uh, not only for sport, but also for school and life. And so I do find that really rewarding. I also find it really re rewarding working with some of the better athletes in the world who, man, you know, I put my whole life into this and, you know, here's my shot. And, you know, and they're so committed. It's so fun working with someone that's that committed where they will leave no stone unturned and, um, and they want it so badly and they're willing to do whatever it takes. Um, that's just fun uh, because it inspires me to be my best as well. And then, of course, you had a role with the San Francisco Giants serving as their, their peak performance coordinator for a few years. Tell me a little bit about that experience. Oh, just a wonderful experience. What a great organization. What a great city. What a great, uh, just, just great group of fans. But uh, I spent three years uh, working with the organization and, you know, met all the great players and, you know, worked with players at all different levels of the organization. Uh, great staff members, great coaches. Um, it, it was so fun working with guys that, you know, were from the U.S., but also guys from the DR, Venezuela, uh, from all over the world. And so that was neat from a cultural perspective, getting to learn about different cultures. And and I wish I could have, you know, I, I wish I could speak Spanish. <laughs> so, uh, but some of the guys try to teach me a little bit, but um, it was great. Uh, the organization, uh, it, it was a little bit of a tough patch for the organization because after winning three World Series, you know, there was a little bit of a letdown and, you know, and, and Bochi had some, uh, you know, some health issues and, uh, but, you know, just some of the best people I've ever met in my life. And so what a great season this past year. Uh, I've been fortunate enough, uh, a lot of guys still will reach out to me. And so uh, I've started working with uh, guys from different organizations as well. But uh, yeah, I've had guys reach out to me and say, hey, I want to keep working with you or you know, hey, you know, things were going pretty good when you were with the organization. I'd love to work with you now. Uh, but uh, yeah, baseball, I love, I love the sport of baseball. And, and I really didn't appreciate how challenging it is because, you know, you play 162 games in 180 days. And then you have spring training, you have the all-star game, which some of the guys would play in, and then obviously the playoffs. So, I mean, it's every day. And so that's fun. There's a game every day almost. So I love that. And then going around the minor league system was fun because, you know, we had a, a team in um, San Jose, but we had a team in, you know, obviously in Sacramento as well, but there was a team in Richmond, Virginia. And then there was a team in, uh, in uh, Augusta, uh, Georgia. So that was a lot of fun seeing the guys on the road and seeing some of these guys coming out of high school or college that were just uh, sponges. They just wanted to learn as much as they could about the mental game and, and just about all aspects of baseball. So what a wonderful sport. Absolutely. I concur hundred percent. And that's one of the things that they tell us in journalism school is learn Spanish. So I got to get on my high horse and then, and, and start doing that. Um, <laughs> so before we wrap yeah, you're up, you're young enough, you're young enough where you could pick it up quicker than I can. Uh, but with, you know, with the growth mindset, we could both learn it. Yeah. Hola. There we go. Done. There we go. <laughs> yeah. My wife speaks uh, Spanish and Portuguese. Uh, so I'm, I'm jealous. Uh, uh, that's one of the things, you know, in terms of regrets, uh, I always like to, uh, you know, uh, think about like how to avoid future regrets, but, and, and I'm, you know, a little bit of tongue in cheek here, but, uh, but I, you know, if I could rewind the clock, I would definitely uh, have taken languages more seriously when I was, you know, when I was a student. 
Yeah, it was required at, at my high school to take uh, two years of, of uh, one foreign language. And oh, I, love I picked Spanish because I knew that that would be the, the most uh, usable mm-hmm. and the most common secondary language I could learn. Uh, and I didn't put in effort and I probably should have. And uh, hey, there's still time, as you mentioned, there's still time. You and I could both learn it. Uh, we'll we'll succeed together. We'll gra- we'll graduate together. We'll take courses. We'll do Duolingo. We will do it. I excellente, excellente. Yeah, excellente. There we go. See, we're learning already on the fly. That's right. Uh, <laughs> before we wrap up here, I do want to ask: um, Are there any more books? Any more books in the work uh, coming up? Well, uh, so Phil and I—I I mentioned him. He's uh, he's a professional writer. The first three books I wrote were all on my own, and uh, boy, that was a that was a challenging process, but super rewarding. And then we teamed up on the Leader's Mind, but. We have probably about 10 books we'd like to write together. <laughs> so uh, exploring different aspects of high performance or culture or teamwork, those kind of things. So uh, I'm excited about future progress, uh, projects. And uh, currently right now, I'm just doing a lot of private practice work. So I'm working with people from all over the world. And, uh, you know, thank goodness for Zoom. Uh, that's, you know, made, uh, you know, being on podcasts such as yourself, you know, such as yours, uh, such a fun experience, but then also being able to work with people uh, and travel a little bit less. Uh, that's one thing I really empathize with, you know, folks in the baseball world is there's a lot of time on buses and planes. <laughs> so, yeah, absolutely. And it, it's hard to believe Zoom was around before COVID. It's like, wow, we didn't realize that this was a thing before, but that's right. Yeah. So right. now we know. Um, Jim or Dr. Jim, I, I don't want to, I, I feel whenever I see a doctor or anybody in the medical field, I cannot call them anything other than doctor. So we have to stick with Dr. Jim Afromo. I appreciate you coming on. This was so much fun. Um, and I think the listeners and the viewers definitely got a lot out of it. Thanks so much, Stephen. Yeah. I'd encourage everyone is, uh, you know, uh, the goal is to think gold and never settle for silver. And, and, and that's my little mantra. And, and basically it's just be the best you can be. And, and look at each day as, uh, you know, love the challenge of each day, no matter what it is. And, and that's how you live a gold medal life. Absolutely. And you guys could follow um, Dr. Jim Afromo on Twitter at Gold Medal Mind. So check his work out there. Uh, a lot of good stuff. And of course, his books are available all over the place. It's linked to his Twitter page. Um, the Leader's Mind, The Champion's Mind, The Champion's Comeback, and The Young Champion's Mind. Uh, so go check those out um absolutely for sure and then of course you guys could check out the podcast on spotify apple podcast youtube wherever you find your podcast and on twitter and instagram at rizzocast thank you guys for listening and enjoy the rest of your day have a happy new year again still the beginning of the year make your new year's resolution um we should have asked about that i I guess there's still time is there any philosophy on the new year's resolution is that an effective thing uh, well, I do love the idea of having clarity, you know, in terms of goals and 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 areas of your life that you want to take up a notch. Uh, uh, kind kind of a tough question, though. I'll ask folks: is uh, you know, uh, given that this is what you want to accomplish, what's probably going to be a couple ways that you're going to sabotage yourself? <laughs> and so, you know, kind of you know, be honest with yourself. Look in the mirror. You know, this is my goal. Okay you know, how am I going to probably get off track or get my own way or give up on it and then resolve to, uh, to, to prepare to overcome those challenges. Uh, so when they pop up, 
you know, in terms of not feeling like you want to do it or, or doing things that get in the way of your, of your goals and values, uh, that you'll be kind of mentally prepared to overcome them. So uh, have big goals and dreams, but also be prepared to uh, overcome that inner resistance and tell yourself that, you know what, uh, I, I'm worth it. Uh, and I have what it takes to overcome that discomfort in terms of reaching my big picture goals. Tis the season of figuring out who doesn't belong in the gym and who's new. So there we go. That, that's the time of the year. All right. Thank you guys for listening again and enjoy the rest of your day. See you next time.